Good morning, Misfits. You are tuning into episode 15 of the Misfit Project. I am your host, Drew Crandall. Across from me, as always, is Ted. Ted, it's uh, pretty fitting that we're doing this episode right now while the storm of the fucking century, <laughs> pardon my French, um, is about to fall on us. Yeah, that's what they say. I'm never convinced. But the main winner, she tricked us again. We had some 60 degree <laughs> days and uh, we're supposed to get 12 to 18 inches tonight. Yep. My prediction is like four or five. I'm hoping that the timing works out that we can shoot a good commercial tomorrow for this episode. Like I can Go get out down in into my undies and sit in the snow. Yeah. Be like, yo, listen to this podcast. <laughs> um, so hot and cold volume two. This is the cold episode. Um, if you did not listen to the hot episode, you do not need to do that first. It can be done really in any order, but there actually is a lot of um, stuff in this episode where we're sort of going to be like, and you heard last week that this happens. Right. So right. Um, it might help to go there. Go listen. Yes, go listen. Episode 14, the hot episode. I wanted to preface this episode by talking about there was a bunch of headlines not that long ago, like late February, that cryotherapy had like no basis for it. It just didn't work. Really? And this is like, this is a perfect time for life lessons with Uncle Drew. Like having that way of thinking, that black, and I understand headlines and sensationalizing things, but that black and white like way of thinking is just so bad and so yeah. stupid because just being cold at all in any way, shape, or form is thermogenesis, where we burn fat, we release cold shock proteins, neuroepinephrine's back in a big way in this episode. Like, shut up. You think you're not getting cold and it's negative 220 degrees? Right. right. Like, that's just stupid. Yeah. And the funny thing is, when you actually read the articles, you have scientists, the old guard, the doctors who are like, this doesn't work go take your blood pressure medication and die in your, you know, armchair. I've never done it. It must not work. Right. And they're like, well, we're not positive exactly what's happening yet. Um, okay. You can't draw a correlation from being cold to being cold. Like they do need to understand it more and the dosage and whether your head's supposed to be in or not, like those are all big parts of what's going on. But saying that you don't completely understand it, so just don't do it. Right. That there's no basis that we can't measure these things is just wrong. Yeah. I mean, you, you see that a bit in conventional medicine and we talked about it with Manea when she was on as well Is mm-hmm. they're a little behind. Yeah. So, you know, the people that are in those positions don't have the time to do all the research and if there's no medical papers that they've had put on their desk right they're not gonna they're not gonna stand behind something that absolutely they yeah so most of this episode today is based on cryotherapy and cold water immersion and immersions just saying that we're actually you know getting into like a cold water bath as opposed to a cold shower um heat shock protein if we go if we rewind back to episode 14 heat shock proteins and neuroepinephrine and all these different things that happen with heat exposure um, happen in some level with any heat exposure. So that's hot tub, hot Epsom salt bath, that kind of thing. And that's sort of the corollary to today with the cold shower. Um, We won't talk about a lot of studies with cold showers, but this stuff is happening during cold showers and it has been proven. But if we want to go all in and try to get these benefits 
unfortunately, even for me, I haven't done a lot of this recently is get back into the actual cold water. Yeah. Um, and, and cryotherapy, obviously you have to go somewhere unless you're super rich and you have a, whatever, five, like $10,000 in your house unit in your home. <laughs> you have to go somewhere to do this. Um, but with the cold water immersion, we can do, um, I know at my house I could do pretty, pretty damn cold well water. Um, a I lot mean, of, you we have know a river from, in your backyard too. Yes. I also have that. That would be interesting. It's pretty <laughs> muddy back there. Yeah. Um, we know from travel that there are people, some of our friends in the South, if they drew up a cold bath, um, it wouldn't be that cold. No, no. And we'll learn in this episode that that actually would still work. We would just need to increase the time to get there. Right. Um, but in those scenarios to get a more similar effect, what a lot of people are doing is they're going on to Craigslist and they're buying uh, chest freezers and they're filling them with water and only plugging them in at certain intervals. And they actually can get those timers and get it figured out after a few days of test retest when the the outlet actually turns on. Huh. Interesting. And and one of the people that did a a vlog episode about this was Matt Vincent, who is the two time Highlands Highland games champion which means you know he's huge and he fits in there. So I've never gotten in my chest freezer where I keep, you know, all my grass-fed beef and pasture-raised pork, but if Matt Vincent fits in his chest freezer and it looks like mine, I can definitely fit in my yeah. chest freezer. Yeah, for sure. I think I probably weigh 50 or 60 pounds less than he does. He's a large man. So um, those are sort of the ways that we can we can do this. I also keep thinking outside of these episodes um, that I should talk about a certain way of learning in the episodes and I always forget. So I get messages, direct messages to the at the misfit dot project on Instagram where people want to know like, where are you getting this information? What can I read? Tell me what to read. And I want to, I think I've mentioned it before, but I want to reiterate the style of learning that I use. Um, it's sort of this thing that I would call the rabbit hole method. So every time I tell people on the on the podcast, hey, if you want to learn more about this, go go find it. That's how I read a book. That's how I listen to a podcast. When I hear a buzzword that or something, a, a concept that's really exciting to me, but it's only been explained in a couple of sentences, I go find it and I spend way more time than I do on the book or on the podcast figuring that out and then I circle back. And I start going back through the book. And to me, that's how I'm able to retain this stuff. I don't think that I'm that any smarter. I just think that I'm interested in it. Sure. Yep. So when you do that and you can draw these corollaries between all of this stuff, you can start to make connections. And then all of this stuff, how it works and the mechanisms, they sort of go together. And then you don't have to keep reteaching yourself all of these different concepts. A lot of a lot of these things, as we've learned throughout the episodes, are connected in in a big way. So if you're looking to, you know, if if you're a health coach or if you're someone who's just trying to help out at your gym, someone that's trying to help someone in their life, um, pick any of these books. But then every time you don't understand a concept fully, go research it. And if you're a visual learner, go to YouTube. If you like to read, read about it. If you like are super busy, there's podcasts about all this stuff. So there's always a way to like really kind of jump in and find your way through. And this applies to everything. Yeah. Nutrition, cryotherapy, whatever it is. (laughs) 
So that's just something that we keep getting direct messages about. How do you learn this stuff? Just go go deep into it. Take yep. a deep dive. Yep. So the setup of this episode is very similar to the setup of episode 14. And that is a bunch of random numbers that sort of make sense and sound exciting. Pull people in a little bit. And then what's actually happening? What's the science behind it? Um, and I know after talking with Ted, you... Me, yes, you, me. Um, or listening every once in a while, which freaks me out, that I can get on a roll and just be like, 5% of you are now cold, move on, and like, <laughs> it, there's no context. So I'm going to try very hard not to do that, and you're going to be the police I'll on do this. my best. All right, I'll do my so best. essentially what we're going to be talking about right now in the numbers is dosage and then what happens. And if the what happens doesn't make sense, Jot that down in your little notebook, and we'll draw a line to the science side of things. Um, so here we go. One hour of exposure to 57-degree air. Nothing crazy, right? Yep. Fahrenheit. 530% increase in neuroepinephrine and 250% increase in dopamine. That's 57-degree air. 57-degree air. So like a brisk fall day. Yeah. Yep. All right. One 45-minute session at 41 degrees had a three-day cold shock protein increase, and we're going to get way into the cold shock proteins. Okay. Family member with the heat shock protein, which is actually heat shock proteins show up quite a bit in cold exposure as well because we're trying to create heat to kind of combat the cold. We're going to skip ahead a little bit just by saying that neuroepinephrine reduces inflammation. And a recent study that looked at a variety of biomarkers in old people, ages 85 to 99, centenarians, which is 100-year-old, super, semi-super centenarians, 105 plus, and super centenarians. I think that's how you say it. That's what it looks like. 110 yeah. years plus. That's some, that's some real shit right there. And they found that low inflammation... <laughs> was the only biomarker that predicted survival and cognitive capabilities across all groups. Huh. I and mean, that's a really broad term, low inflammation, but yes, that's well, crazy. We'll, we'll get into how and why neuroepinephrine reduces inflammation. And we just said that one hour at 57 degrees is a 530% increase in neuroepinephrine. We talked a lot last week about how it just makes sense that if you're resilient, that you're healthier. You'll last longer. You'll last longer. So people... Go get cold. I think that's why people in Maine are so old. Because our state population is like 80%, 60 plus. I think the modern stressors haven't fully taken over, or at least they didn't with this previous, the baby boomers that are essentially almost, they're they're leaving the earth. Yeah. Essentially, they're almost gone. Um, Then the the numbers aren't going to be good moving forward after that. Yeah. Because there's there are people there's a huge argument going on right now about whether we're getting older or younger in terms of when we die, um, and there's statistics to back both sides, so I don't know the answer. Yeah, <laughs> but so the, the only reason you, it would be older is medicine. Yeah, yeah, that is the reason, and the only reason that it would be younger is because we live these cushy lives. Oh man, and then cushy turns <coughs> into yourself staring. I'm staring at my iPad right now, like. <laughs> Staring at that and the McDonald's and all that stuff. It's such a, like, as a side note, 
I haven't been to a fast food restaurant since I found out I had celiac because they do not serve one item. The only fast food item that I know of is a frosty. <laughs> oh, frosties are delicious. They're too. pretty good. Um, there's nothing there. So that combined with all of this new knowledge that I have, like it weirds me out to see so many people going into those places all the time. They're, it's they're quick. All day, they're quick, every they're cheap, day. They're easy. Oh, I get it. They're delicious. They play into our biology like you would not believe. There's a lot of food science behind there those is. places. They hire scientists specifically to make you want that. So messed up. A lot of money. And it wasn't even that at first. It was just the fact that it was really cheap, high caloric. You're good to go. Yeah. But high caloric back in the day was a small fry and a cheeseburger, which is, you know, not great, but nowhere near the like quadruple Baconator and the French fry tub and the. I'd love to go back to like the beginning of McDonald's and see what the food was like. See what the difference is. Have you seen that movie? The Founder with Michael Keaton? No, I haven't. It's really good. I've heard. I've heard it's It's really good. good more because of the way that he like figured out the like quick way to make all the food. Yeah. He invented all these like things like, yeah. it's like food like, assembly line. Yeah. This yeah. like carousel that like shot out different condiments and stuff. And he like, they like made it all themselves. Which You've is seen cool. the sour cream gun at Taco Bell. It's incredible. <laughs> you can buy, you can buy the, the squeezable now. It's just a glorified caulking gun. Yeah. That's like food grade or whatever. Mm-hmm. I've always wanted to spray somebody with that. <laughs> we should go back to the episode. I think. All right, fine. <laughs> Whole body cryotherapy at negative 166 degree Fahrenheit, which is actually not that cold for cryotherapy for 23 minutes, three times a week for one week, had a significant reduction in pain and collagen breakdown in arthritis patients. Hmm. Pain, inflammation, we start to see the connections here and then collagen breakdown is huge because that's something that just happens with age. And this is a, a quick plug for taking collagen protein. Really good for you. The it's cheap. Great Lakes, I believe, is the name of the one that I use. Yeah, that like green cardboard yeah. box. Really cheap thing. on Amazon. Doesn't taste like anything. Mixes yep. into hot or cold. Yep. A lot of people put it in their coffee and they don't even notice it's there. So <laughs> I wouldn't recommend that because I'm a coffee snob, but uh, not everybody <laughs> else is. And this this next one is not like actual numbers, but when I read study after study after study, it gets annoying to keep writing the same thing into here. So all I'm going to say is there's a long list of studies showing cold water immersion, increasing and repairing immune cells, which these immune cells, how many of them we have and whether they're damaged or not is really kind of the big thing and whether we get sick or not. 40 degree room exposure for 30 minutes increased natural killer cells. Now, I always like to go back to the like get outside thing. We've got the tribes episode, essentially our first episode. Yeah. Episode two in the chronology, but really episode one of the meat. Exactly. Now, not the most important episode based on how good we were at podcasting (laughs) at that time. That was our first one. Come on, people. But import very important conceptually conceptually and we talked about the natural killer cells being released by the actually the oils in the tree bark so people walking around outside and their their cancer risk going down right very awesome now if you're walking around outside in maine in the winter we have a twofold we have the nk cell increase through the cold 40 degree room exposure. I doubt these people were naked. So you can wear, (laughs) you can wear clothes 
through this exposure. So we're getting sort of that that double double natural killer cell, and it just you know it's a badass name for a cell. It really is. Um, there's long been arguments about whether winter swimmers, people who continue to swim outside during the winter, whether that be in the ocean, even with a wetsuit, um, before all of this science started happening, all these studies started happening, there was just this myth of the cold water people, they just don't get sick. Right. Now they have a really long-term study where it showed that these people have a 40% decrease in cold and flu symptoms. That's impressive, Sounds especially good. given this year, the the way that the flu has been acting yeah. over the last couple of months. It's been like the biggest year recorded history. And I would argue that that number is probably much, much higher in people who are very smart about the way that they do their cold exposure and then heat themselves back up. Because, yes, you are going through that hormetic effect like we talked about last week, but anyone who's ever gotten cold and then not gotten warm, you can tell it's not very good for you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. When you get so cold that you can't shake it, you can't shake it and you're just cold for a really, really long time. We're getting into hypothermia stages of hypothermia that are, that are no bueno. So I would argue that if those people were a little bit better at that, because this, this study was one of those ones where they studied like a large group of people. It wasn't like in a controlled scenario right. it was like you are a winter swimmer you're part of this study kind yep. of a thing so yep. air temperature exposure of 59 degrees for six hours a day for 10 consecutive days resulted in a 37 percent increase in brown adipose tissue that will also be a big part of this episode and after the acclimation period increased thermogenesis by 1118 percent so we get better at thermogenesis as we continue cold exposure because there are two different types of thermogenesis. There's shivering thermogenesis, which people could understand. You start shivering and your body's literally moving to create heat. Right. It's like buzzing. It's physically trying to heat itself. Exactly. And then there's non-shivering thermogenesis, which is actually um, you know, where we get a lot of the cold shock proteins and a lot of the good stuff happens. And we get better at that, which is nice. Brown adipose tissue only detected in roughly 25% of adults. Now... This is in here because there's this huge debate that only babies have brown adipose tissue and then because we sort of move inside and get away from our biology that we don't have it anymore. That's not true. And we can develop it, which is nice. So the 25% was, it was only detected in 25% of people, but then they redid it in the winter and the people had 50% of the people had it. So this is not, this is not cold exposure via cold shower cold water, any of that. It's just the winter. It's just a colder environment. Just a colder environment. So we're already going up 25%. So we're sort of getting rid of the myth that people don't have brown adipose tissue anymore. They certainly don't have as much as they used to, and we have to develop it you know, through these means, but it's around. It didn't go away. Another study showed that cold water immersion with your head out in 68 degree water. That doesn't even sound cold. Nope. For one hour, increased metabolic rate by 93%. This is the phenomenon of Michael Phelps eats 12 trillion calories a day <laughs> because he spends so much time in the pool. He spends hours a day in the pool, and his body is working through cold thermogenesis the whole time. Wow. This was actually figured out by a NASA scientist from his armchair when he was severely overweight 
and realized that he could just essentially put himself in cold water to the point where he started to get rid of fat upped his metabolic rate wow because he was an expert in thermogenesis and he saw that 60 minutes thing where he's like i eat 14 egg sandwiches for breakfast (laughs) 27 subway sandwiches for lunch 12 pizzas and whatever and he was like oh i'll figure this out he's like i know thermogenesis and turns out that the pool does that to you so um moving on in the same idea um one hour at 57 degrees so 11 degrees cooler, increased metabolic rate by 350%. Yowza. It's really important to note these studies where you have the 68 degrees, the 57 degrees, because there is also an argument that it's really hard to get your body down to the 96 degrees uh, body temperature, which is a huge part of whether you're in thermogenesis or not. Um, Showing these more sort of doable temperatures for longer periods shows you that it's not really not that hard. Right. Right. It's it's very doable. Moving on cryotherapy exposure for three minutes at negative 202 degrees Fahrenheit every day for 20 days. What did I write here? My goodness. That seems excessive every day (laughs) for 20 days. 100% of the activity of one of the most potent antioxidant enzymes in the body called glutathione Reductase and increased another potent antioxidant enzyme by 40, approximately 43%. What I was trying to say there was we doubled one really important antioxidant enzyme and then we had a fifth, roughly 40%, in, 43% increase in the other one. So we're sort of starting to get into, we're moving on to the antioxidants. There was another study, negative 248 to negative 284. That's, that's serious cold therapy right there in the cryotherapy chamber three minutes a day for 10 days increase the activity of those two as well by 36 percent and 68 percent and we're again we're talking about and these are antioxidants antioxidants yes we talked a lot about last week about the oxidative damage that a lot of things can have on our muscle tissue so the antioxidants we're trying to go in there and mitigate that elite runners that engaged in whole body cryotherapy for one hour 24 hours or 48 hours post hill sprinting had a 20% increase in speed and power up to two days later. The only reason I included all three of those is because later in the episode, we have to talk about timing of this. Sure. Yep. Um, and you know what I'm going to do? So that's one hour of cryo, either 24 or 48 hours after after a workout. Correct. Yes. No, 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 no. (laughs) That's cryotherapy, either one hour, 24 hours or 48 hours after. Oh. Yes. One hour in the cryo chamber would kill you, I think. <laughs> someone actually died. Um, Didn't she put her head under or something? Well, you're, so she worked at the place, and I think she like fell asleep or something. No, 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 no. So she no. didn't have someone monitoring what was going on. Don't do that, people. No, don't do that. Because we will talk about the um, whether your head should be in or not, and a lot of the things that I see on like Instagram, people posting, they went to the cryotherapy place. It's the whole body that actually has the more of the effect. Right. So you're in the whole, the whole even your head's in there. Yeah. Well, so we're going to skip a few here because I think we understand that there's an effect when you are either in a cold room, cold water or cryotherapy. That's the goal of the science portion. Um, now it's it's important to get into where the benefits are specifically and, and how it happens. 
Um, this week we're going to start with the brain. I like to mix it up, whether we're starting with the brain or the body, because you know we talked a lot about it last week. We have very measurable effects with our body. We don't necessarily have that with the brain, and when we don't have that, a lot of people shy away from it. Sure. Um, but we use our brains a lot, <laughs> essentially the entire time you are awake. So um, we mentioned in episode four of the podcast, which was the Mind Podcast, um, that cold therapy outperformed SSRI medication for depression. Um, really important to get back to, to thinking about that, to thinking about the mind um, in terms of not just performance, but also mood. Um, and, you know, we talked about all of the cognitive effects of neuroepinephrine last week, episode 14. Yep. It's back. Neuroepinephrine, as we said in the very first bullet point on this on the number side, it's it's you know a big part of cold exposure as well as hot exposure. Um, so decreased neuroepinephrine is associated with inattention. So we're sort of going to what happens when it's not around. Yep. Decreased focus and cognitive ability, low energy and poor mood. When it's depleted in people by pharmacological intervention, so they're literally getting rid of it on purpose, it causes depression, like black and white, plain and simple. When they get rid of neuroepinephrine, people get sad. They get lethargic. They get, they don't care, essentially. Right. And I think for people who have been there, it is so important to know that this is something that isn't specifically wrong with you. It's something wrong with your neurochemistry as a snapshot of a moment in time of what's going on, not the the old adage of you have a chemical imbalance in your brain. Here, take this drug. Like, yeah, there's a chemical imbalance going on right then at that moment. At that moment, yep. and there is something that can be done about it. And we we list a ton of different things throughout the first five or six weeks of the podcast, and we've listed them again here in the hot and cold episodes. So, um, a lot of it to me is just getting back to the basics, getting back to simple stuff. The whole tribes piece, the evolutionary biology. We were cold, we were hot, we were around people. All of those things are rewarded through these neurotransmitters um, to make sure that we keep, you know, feeding into that biology. Yep. Um, and then just to, to sort of jump a little bit further, both ADHD and depression are sometimes treated with neuroepinephrine reuptake inhibitors, which has a huge set of drawbacks because it's exogenous. Um, it's something we're putting into our body a lot of times when we don't create this stuff naturally our body will actually think that we have to shut it off because oh we're, we're good we don't need to create this anymore you're giving it to me so then when you get off the drugs it has trouble bringing it, it back to a normal trouble level. bringing it back to a normal level um and then one thing that's really cool is these cold shock proteins um and they they found this out through studying uh hibernating bears when they got cold, they lost a bunch of their synapses, so like their memories and things. And then the cold shock proteins would bring them back. Like 93% of the, the lost synapses would be brought back through the mechanism of the cold shock proteins. So while they were asleep, they were creating these, and then when they woke up, they were able to, to use them. Huh. Um, what we don't have to do is go into hibernation yeah. and lose them. Um, and these cold shock proteins have the ability to regenerate synapses without us, you know, really losing them. So that's a really, really important piece um, for cognitive function. Both cold shock proteins and heat shock proteins are 
progressively being linked to um, mitigating Alzheimer's risk. So you would obviously regenerating synapses, um, using these therapies to to bring people sort of out of something that's already started um, can be really good to know. Yeah. There's sort of a segue here between the brain and the immune system. Um, The inflammatory molecules probably contribute to depression and anxiety by inhibiting the release of serotonin from neurons. So when we we talked about decreasing inflammation in the numbers, um, when we have that inflammation, um, depression is caused by essentially stopping serotonin being released. So if we increase the ability to decrease inflammation that was a weird way to word that um then we make sure that we're releasing serotonin okay and it just makes sense to me that if our our brain is inflamed that it'll have trouble functioning exactly yeah yeah that makes sense it's just like if your knee's inflamed it's going to be hard to bend your leg exactly if your brain's inflamed it's going to be hard to yep bend your brain bend your brain (laughs) the immune system the purpose of inflammation the good side of it is to eliminate the initial cause of cell injury, clear out dead cells and tissues damaged from the original insult and the inflammatory process, and to initiate tissue repair. So inflammation, as we've learned, um, as a lot of people have learned over the the last few years where people are saying, don't ice, don't um, take NSAIDs, you know, Advil and and things of that nature. Um, The inflammation process is supposed to happen. The problem is we create so much of it that it sort of like takes over and causes these issues constantly. It's not like a repair anymore. It's like we're constantly in rebuilding. It's like our body's constantly in the construction phase and you never really get to use what's going on. Right. Um, so the, the cold effect um, increases our stock of immune cells. Um, essentially what's happening is neuroepinephrine inhibits the inflammatory pathway and decreases the amount of this thing called TNF-alpha. And that's just an inflammatory cytokine. So again, we're we're starting this pathway of inflammation as a means to um, rebuild. But if we have too much of this TNF-alpha, we sort of stay in that mode too much. And the linkage between TNF alpha and almost every human disease. Um, and you know, in my notes, I have it here saying ranging from type two diabetes to uh, bowel disease or cancer. Um, too much of that makes us sick. Yeah. Too much of the TNF alpha makes us sick. The neuroepinephrine that we keep talking about over and over and over is what's going to inhibit that. Okay. So 530% increase in that whatever it was 57 degree room right um we can see how we would want to use this how this would help our immune system that that doesn't even sound that uncomfortable an hour at 57 degrees no and and what's funny about this is there's like there's the longer periods of time at the at the manageable temperatures just as a good example and then you have the like ridiculous studies where you're doing cryotherapy for 20 minute sessions nine times a day for 12 weeks like that kind of thing but what we can do with those studies is we can draw back to the middle and say we can probably if we if we make it pretty intense for a short period of time then then we can have these benefits as well and you can also see how you know we always we always talk about max on this podcast but you can see why 
he looks the way that he does and we'll get it we're getting into body composition right now it's yeah. a, it's i mean a, he's he's outside climbing trees during the winter exactly like, he's always outside yeah always. and he's either really hot he starts to get really hot so he starts you know i've talked to him about this before where he has to wear a bunch of layers because if he only wears one big layer like he gets too hot and then right. if he takes that off he's frozen yep so he's always working through this hot and cold balance so that he can work and i mean we're getting into it now the body composition it's the body composition one to me is is by far the most simple in terms of science cold thermogenesis ramps up our metab uh, our metabolism and when you're cold your body tries to get warm and it has to create heat somehow and it creates heat through fat burning the fat metabolism that's where it comes from so in in my mind that cold thermogenesis thermogenesis is just that you know sort of body reaction to to change the temperature yep. it just makes sense to me has, the energy has to come from somewhere essentially right. Um, so now we're going to get into that brown adipose tissue. I tried to think of the easiest way to explain this. And essentially the process of the heating up creates more mitochondria. And when the mitochondria go into the white tissue, everybody's, you know, I assume either eaten or seen what fat looks like. Yeah. Um, it's white, it's bright white. A lot of times, um, the, the mitochondria actually shows up on the microscope as having a browning effect on the fat. And that's where the name brown adipose tissue comes from. Okay. So the mitochondria are created as a byproduct of the, or to actually created to have the metabolism increase. And then they go in to burn that fat and create the brown fat. And we really want the brown fat because the brown fat eats the white fat. So if we have a layer of this fat, on ourselves we actually burn the fat the white fat the bad fat the adipose tissue the stuff that we don't want the stuff that you can actually you know kind of see see yeah and there have been one thing we can actually jump into the cold shower for a second not a huge part of this episode but we can localize um the cold shower obviously and brown fat a lot of brown fat lives upper chest and upper back area so like traps thoracic spine and then on the front sort of neck pectoral um, lungs area and that's there essentially as a protection mechanism we're trying to heat up that area right um to protect the heart and the lungs exactly the important bits yes um so if we understand that at the most basic level that we just want the brown fat um it's really cool to see that it has a, a twofold effect because as we acclimate to the cold exposure, we increase our brown fat. We also, as we talked about before, increase our capacity for thermogenesis, which creates brown fat. So we're getting better at it through sort of two mechanisms. The brown fat itself helps increase itself, and then the thermogenesis helps us create more, more brown fat, if that makes sense. So um, again... We talked about it earlier. There's the argument of, of whether human beings actually have brown adipose tissue anymore. Um, all it took was measuring people in the winter versus summer to see a 25% increase. So if we can have that cold exposure year round, there's, you know, I assume that would be in the 75 to the 100% range. Um, now we are going to move on to the performance benefits. Um, 
And I think it's really important to start with the topic of timing here because of the controversy surrounding icing or no icing. Right. And you guessed it, having a black and white opinion of this is <laughs> once again stupid. I understand, like, if you were the one that discovered this, you'd want to, like, champion it. And you, like, the guy that, the guy that has the, he's, I think he's involved with Mark Pro. But he like wears T-shirts that say "Don't Ice" like all the time, and he like looks like Doc Brown from from uh, Back to, to the, the future. future. He's just a like a wacky looking guy, and I get it. Like you pioneered research on whatever, but um, icing helps for a bunch of different reasons. A lot of it's just about timing. Yep. Um, so one way to think about it is the more intense cardiovascularly or on our muscle tissue, the exercises, the more we want to wait a little bit. And we talked about, um, using heat exposure for that exact reason last week to like prolong that. Exactly. We're prolonging that effect. Um, by that same mechanism, we would want to wait here because it's anti-inflammatory. We already talked about that a bunch and we want that, but we don't want that at that point in time. Right. We don't want to stop this process of repairing. We also don't want it to be too long so you can understand how, you know, an hour or two hours or three hours after that it would make sense to ice. Right. Um, but that's just one of those things where it's really important. When we move on to the endurance community, um, the studies are actually showing that we can go a little bit closer um, without it being really bad, a little bit closer to when the training ends. Um, so the, the studies... Um, that, that really showed the effect of the hypertrophy essentially showed um, the people who did it right after had a 70% um, decrease in muscle growth in there. I think it was their quadricep muscles versus the control group. So the control group just didn't ice. The group that had the one-third of the growth um, was the one that iced right after. So that's a pretty significant effect. Yeah, that's um, huge. And that was, again, just cold therapy directly following weightlifting. And there were also... So that's like jumping in an ice bath after finishing a really hard workout. Exactly. You're, you're kind of stopping the growth that yeah. potentially could occur. Right. Yeah. And the problem here is, is we can start to see, especially, you know, huge part of our audience is CrossFitters. We have both going on we have that cardiovascular effect where it wouldn't be as much of a problem with the hypertrophy that's happening. Um, you know, we've, if you've been to the CrossFit games, you see there's a touch of hypertrophy going on in the CrossFit <laughs> world. Um, so it would make sense to, to wait, to wait, to do that kind of thing in the CrossFit community. And then the other statistics that were attached to it, I, I didn't write any of them down, but it was like one of the groups could jump way higher after, um, a lot of it was, you know, sort of power related and they're drawing a lot of correlations between, um, the type two versus type one muscle fibers. So the type two is the fast twitch and the cold is really killing the ability to grow that, um, when you're getting too close. Now, when we move to the endurance community, cold increases mitochondrial biogenesis, which directly relates to the aerobic capacity via the ability to use oxygen in order to produce cellular energy. And if we have more of them, it can be said that you are more adapted to aerobic activity. And mitochondria, increased mitochondria, is kind of the name of the game when it comes to aerobic capacity. The more you increase that, the more you're able to 
um, you know, use the oxygen to create energy. So we're, we're just trying the, that, that mitochondrial biogenesis is just, we're trying to create more. Right. And the more of them that we have, we're good. We get more of them through endurance. This is sort of like last week with, um, when we lift weights, we get, you know, the benefit and then we have the heat, we have the benefits. You get it twofold. When we do endurance work, we get the mitochondria increase. When we have the cold exposure, we get the mitochondria increase. So it would make a lot of sense for the endurance community to be heavily invested in cold exposure, essentially. Yeah. Um, Moving on to recovery, I don't even think it's necessary to get too deep into the science with the recovery because we've talked so much about um, it improving your mood, it improving inflammation markers, immune cells, and if we understand how hard it is to recover when we're stressed out, we can understand how all of these things would help. The healthier we are, the easier it is to recover. Yeah. The easier it is to go from that sympathetic nervous system back to the parasympathetic nervous system and recover. Um, and with that note, it's really important to to understand that we don't get that level of the hormetic effect that we talked about a lot in episode 14 um, when we stress ourselves out too much. So don't go in the cold water for four hours every day after you know a 20-mile bike ride and all of these things. Don't stack all of this stuff on top of each other and hope that it works immediately. Um, and then, you know, for the for the scientific side, just like the heat shock proteins we talked last week, the cold shock proteins play a major role in balancing out that protein synthesis versus degradation. And I won't go through that again because I assume a lot of people are going to be listening to these episodes fairly close together. Yeah. But essentially, we are trying to balance out protein synthesis for hypertrophy versus protein breakdown and cold shock protein is something that's really important there. Um, now we got to go into like, what do I do with this information? Like, thanks for the information. Um, how do we use it? How do we use it? I find I've drawn a, my own super deep scientific correlation from, the cryotherapy versus cold water immersion to the dry versus wet sauna that we talked about last week. It's easier to spend more time and get more of an effect in the cold water than it is with the cryotherapy. Yep. So negative 220 degrees can't do that for very long. Yep. Um, there's also this concept of how much is exposed. The surface area piece is super important. When we get in the water, obviously there's a massive amount of surface area that's contacted by this cold. Yeah. It's really easy to understand how that would create that thermogenic effect. And essentially all that's happening there is is just vasoconstriction. Your body's like, we have to like pull the veins in, you know, away from the skin you know, make them nice and small so that the surface area of our skin can't, you know, make us too cold where right. we would, you know, get hypothermia and potentially die. So, um, that is a huge part of it. And then a huge part of it is again, all of these cryotherapy studies that did really well were in the full body. So your head is in there as well. And I don't know enough about what's available to people currently. Yeah. I don't know if you can, if it's like you go in and they're like, you want your head in or you not want your head in right. or you can't have your head in cause we don't want to kill somebody. <laughs> I don't really know where that's at. I know 
that I will try it out soon because there was a place um, opened. Oh, I think us. a place just opened here recently. Yeah. yeah. So we finally get to try it. That'll be fun. But I don't know. I'm pretty sure the photos that I saw, Austin's head was sticking out of the top of it. That's most of the photos that I've seen. It's been, yeah. you know, neck down. Right. You're wearing gloves. Yeah. So you don't lose digits. Yeah. Yeah. I do know that, um, you know, one of the big, one of the big reasons that I've been able to get into all of this stuff is, is Rhonda Patrick being on Rogan's podcast and he talks about, I'm pretty sure his is a full body. Pretty sure his is one of the ones where you walk in and you're fully in there. Yeah. Um, and it just makes sense to me to have the whole system there because if you have, it's like, it's like with the hands and feet in the, in the water, like there is a massive difference in the way that you feel if you put your hands in or not. Like it's not just the fact that it's your hands. Like it's, it's like there are parts of your body that are still warm that are fighting off, you know, a lot of this stuff that we're trying, that we're doing on purpose to have. Right. When I used to do ice baths, I wore my, uh, my surfing booties (laughs) on my feet. And then I just kept my, I just kept my head and hands out. Right. But I was essentially, I could have had the same effect by getting in for a shorter period of time, which probably would have been better. Um, I still have not done it in the nude. There is a, well, that's not true. That's not true. I haven't done a full ice bath in the nude. I got in one once. Not so great. (laughs) Literally just wearing compression is a huge difference. And, you know, it's like adding like a layer of skin or something. Right. But, man. I got in, I, th- I think it was the very first time that I did it. I went and got like, I was so excited. I got all this ice and poured it into my bathtub and turned the water on and I got in and I got right out. <laughs> and then I came back in with, um, I think I had a hat on, a winter hat, my surfing booties and compression shorts. But in hindsight, I was trying to create a certain effect and I probably should have just stayed in there yep. either until my body acclimated a little bit or just do it for a shorter period of time. Right. It's sort of the same. Short effect. burst. Yeah. Yep. Um, so <clears throat> you really, w- with this stuff, you can understand that the water should be pretty damn cold. And if you live in a place where your water's not that cold, then ice is important. Yeah. Um, we don't need the ice to be like living in the water. You know what I mean? Like you don't need the water to be so cold that you can see all of the ice. The ice probably should be pretty close to melted. Um, by the time you get in it, unless you're, you know, the Wim Hof type. And the, I, I think that that chest freezer idea is really cool. Um, because you could, you know, have that thermometer in there and play with, you know, the test retest mentality of this is how I feel. This is how I'm sleeping. This is how I'm recovering subjective mood, all of these different things you could play with, you know, whether 40 degrees was better than 45 degrees or 50 degrees, that kind of thing. You know, are you actually, it's important to know whether you're actually able to stay in or not and actually get your hands in and go up to your neck, like that kind of thing. Right. Especially at those more moderate temperatures because you need that time. Right. Yeah. But it's, it's worth it to explore because if you can't stay in there, at its like almost freezing temperature, then there's really no point in doing it if you can't pull it off. Um, and then with the cryotherapy, the, yes, the information is still in his infancy, but we, we just heard 10 plus reasons why it would work in my opinion. Um, and a lot of these studies were cryotherapy, like 
they measured this stuff based on what was happening in the study in a cryo chamber, not you know correlation drawn. These are these are real studies, and there's plenty of them that you can go and look at. Just don't read the articles on whatever Huffington Post that don't link <laughs> to any studies. Um, so again, last week I wasn't able to give like a specific prescription, and I did that on purpose because I want people to know that you can start somewhere. You know, get get hot, get uncomfortable. Yep. Now it's get cold, get uncomfortable. Try it just once a week for a little while. Try it twice a week. Try it three times a week, whatever it is. Yep. Um, but it's important to understand that we do not get the hormetic effect if we beat the crap out of ourselves through trying to figure out all of these different ways at once. Right. And we didn't we didn't talk a lot about it, but is like would starting with cold showers like a few oh, times yeah. a week be a good like in point, a good dipping Absolutely. your toe into the cold water as yes. it were? Yeah. Yeah. The cold shower personally for me is is what I do and through going back through all of this research, I'm definitely going to get the full body cold exposure back into what I'm doing. Yep. Um, but I just, I said it last week, I'll say it again. I notice a big difference in my mood throughout the course of an entire day. Sort of like, like if you had, if you had this like, you know, video game style, had this meter above your head that was like, once this is gone, like, don't fuck with me. <laughs> that meter is so much more robust on the days where, Surprise, I get a good night's sleep and then I do a cold shower. Yeah. It's a very, very big part of um, me putting the responsibility back on myself to control that stuff. Yeah. Because you think throughout those days that other people or external things are the problem, but then you trace it back and you're like, I am kind of being bitchy today because I slept for five hours last night. Right. And sometimes when I, um, you know that when you wake up in the morning, you haven't, you didn't sleep that well and you have those, you don't have a cold, but you have those like feelings, yeah. maybe a scratch in the throat, you're lethargic, maybe yeah. you cough a little, you're congested, that kind of thing. When I feel that way, I don't do a cold shower because in my mind, I'm like stressor on stressor. We're starting to get a little weird there. Yeah. Um, those are the days where maybe where you can, should <laughs> where I can tell, well I don't I actually don't know the answer to that. I feel like if I did that I'd jump out and take my like vitamin C and yeah I'm sure there's an answer there but unfortunately yeah. like you know we've talked about a bunch it's hard to measure that you know sort of activity yeah no I mean I think I agree with you and when you know regular cold exposure is present in my life the regular stressors don't seem quite as bad. Exactly. Things seem a little bit easier, a little yeah. bit more lighthearted. And even just sitting here today, like thinking back to like when you and I had time yeah. and we would go snowboarding every weekend, like yep. together with friends out in the cold for long periods of time coming home, everything was like great. Oh yeah. Everything you was great. You slept like a baby yeah, that night too. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So like high levels of activity with people you care about. Maybe there's some the sunshine. Maybe there's some trees. Yeah. Who knows? That's yeah. Some serious effect there. Yeah. And, and it, at the time it just seemed like fucking around with your friends going to have fun. And yeah. like now looking back at it, it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. Maybe there was some science there. Huge. Yeah. And that's the, the funny thing is we did. So it's there's so, such an intuitive piece to that because we did one episode one at the very beginning where we talked about that and yeah we've brought it up after but the thing that I see the most on Instagram are people telling us hey I got outside I got this the vitamin D uh, it's you know cold outside or I'm with my tribe you know they're they're like walking their dog and they've got their kid in the stroller that yep. kind of thing people really attached to that. 
because it's a very simple, low-level thing that can completely change your personal biology. It's simple, but you definitely can feel the effect of it. Yeah. Like just walking outside for 25 minutes with somebody, even if it's like simple, no, like huge conversation going on, you get back inside and it's, you feel different. I, I didn't think the Misfit Project was ready to be released until I moved tribes to the front in the first episodes yeah. and it was just like I know so many people that do so well at what I would call episodes three through six right but y- you can't have really shitty relationships and be cooped up in you know a kind of place like like where we're sitting right now with the fluorescent <laughs> light and you know the white walls and that kind of thing uh, their LEDs doesn't for- work <laughs> It just doesn't work. Yeah. You can't do it. Yeah. Um, and starting there, it's like, this is a super powerful thing where we can make all of these changes. And to me, you make those changes, your mood gets a little bit better. And then the other ones are like a lot more doable. Yeah. And I can tell sure. through social media that we are adding a bunch of new listeners all the time. I implore you guys to go back to the beginning. Yeah. Episodes. At least the first five episodes. Yeah, seriously. They're, I mean, in episode one is essentially us saying, listen to the next five episodes. <laughs> so you can skip that one. I yeah. mean, you can give us, you know, a download, a listen, <laughs> that kind of thing. We won't, we won't be too, too upset about that. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm really excited that we're still finding ways and we're definitely going to continue to try to trace it back to that, that episode and that concept. It's just far too important to just say, always to just say, Hey, you know, today we're talking about caffeine consumption. Make sure you go back and listen to the tribes episode. Right. Like the fact that we can say, Oh, get hot, you know, increase your biology, get cold, increase your biology, yeah. go back to what your biology used to be. Yeah. Unfortunately, it takes way too damn long for evolution to do its thing. Yeah. And we're going to be long dead before. And I don't even know why our biology would want to adapt to what the hell's going on now, but it will. Yeah. I mean, it's been less than a hundred years since we've been sitting in artificial heat and air conditioning and comfortableness. So like the human body's not necessarily designed for that. There's been thousands of years before that, that if you listen to, uh, your relatives that had strict parents with the hot and the cold, that was only a few, that was only 20 years ago. That long ago. No, my, my dad, grew up in like a lot of hot and a lot of cold because they didn't have any money. Mm-hmm. And my mom grew up in a lot of hot and a lot of cold because her parents didn't want to spend the money. Like <laughs> old school Catholic, like yep. we're not going to, you know, waste money on keeping this house to 70 degrees. Yeah, we have our f- friends, our age that are like that from yeah. their parents. Yeah. And no, the funny thing is no, my dad, I'm talking to you. <laughs> my dad is the exact opposite. My house was always like 70 degrees summer, winter. Cause he's like, that sucked. I don't want to keep going through that. <laughs> so thanks a lot, dad. I had no thermogenesis for me. That's why I was chubby as a kid. It's probably why you're allergic to everything. Probably. <laughs> All right, guys. Um, hope you enjoyed the hot and cold episodes. I know that at times it got a little sciencey and at times it was confusing which statistic I was talking about. Um, but that's sort of how my brain works. So I do my best to articulate when I can. And then Ted sits across from me and makes sure that I don't just ramble for God knows how long I try. So that's the hot and the cold. Um, I would love to hear more suggestions on which rabbit hole you guys want me to jump back down. So 
direct message, comments, whatever it is, please let us know the topics that you want us to either rehash that we've already talked about, go deeper on something new, doesn't matter what it is. I would really, really appreciate ideas from you guys on either guests or topics. Um, This is the end of the episodes. We have to ask for five-star reviews on iTunes. (laughs) We really appreciate those guys. If you like our stuff. Yes, if you like our stuff. If you don't like our stuff. um, Sorry. I don't know if there's an unsubscribe link. Don't don't hit it. There's Just, not. No. There isn't. No. Nope. Sorry, guys. Sorry. Stuck. Stuck we with us. We are on Instagram at, at themisfit.project. We are misfitproject.com. We are Misfit Project on old, crusty Facebook that nobody <laughs> uses anymore, especially on the business side. <laughs> um, and if you are not into social media, uh, I'm not mad at you. You can email me at info at misfitproject.com with any questions, comments, concerns. We are still in our infancy. We are still able to respond to all these messages. Um, So please keep in touch. Please keep tagging us in your Instagram stories. That's really fun to look at every day. Um, That's it. Thanks for listening. Yes, sir. Until next time.